This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Jimenez, host of the Fear Free podcast series. Today, we will be talking with two renowned veterinary anesthesiologists, Dr. Ralph Harvey and Dr. Tammy Grubb. We will be discussing how pre-anesthesia practices and procedures play a role in creating a fear-free veterinary visit, and how new research suggests that, in many cases, we should be taking a different approach than what was once the norm. Generally, it has been a long-held practice that when it comes to feeding versus fasting before going under, fasting was a hands-down way to go. But that's changing. Welcome, and thank you both so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you, Alex. Great opportunity. So I wanted to start out with a little background and ask you both, why has this been the belief for so long? Or in other words, what are these perceived risk factors of feeding before anesthesia and how does this play into fear-free? For many years, for a very long time, we've been fasting animals before anesthesia on the um, basis of having an empty stomach and presumably reducing the risk for vomiting and then aspiration or regurgitation and aspiration. And that's been a consistent pattern in all areas of medicine for, as I said, a very long time, to withhold food from the night before and typically withhold water from that morning of surgery. We know that uh, that doesn't necessarily result in an empty stomach. We have seen animals that would indeed have vomiting after pre-anesthetic medications or in the perioperative periods for some other reason and still vomit food or even have some regurgitation and see some food appear, even in animals that presumably had been fasted. There's also some lack of compliance by owners. They may fail to understand. Another family member may feed the animal. The animal may get into some food elsewhere. So there's no guarantee that that stomach is going to be empty. Indeed, we evaluated the gastric emptying time in dogs many years ago and found that it's quite variable. And even in non-stressed dogs, they may still have food present in their stomach for many hours after the procedure. So we know that fasting an animal is not necessarily achieving our desired goal of having the stomach empty and uh, thereby uh, may not make any difference on the incidence of regurgitation or vomiting. We have a couple of studies that have come out in the last year, one in the American Animal Hospital Association Journal and one from the uh, AVMA Research Journal showing contradictory results with regard to the efficacy of early uh, food withdrawal versus feeding closer to the period of time. But the bottom line here is really that fasting or feeding does not really provide the safeguard that we want of the airway. Good anesthetic care involves airway management with placement of an endotracheal tube. We should always assume that an animal is at some risk of regurgitation or vomiting. So our policy in the past of strict NPO is not providing the safety that we need to achieve with an endotracheal tube. And there's also convincing evidence that withholding food actually lowers the pH in the stomach. And that may have undesirable consequences for the possibility of reflux esophagitis and uh, compounding the risk of any aspiration that may occur. So it fits in nicely with the potential of feeding even a small meal perhaps or certainly allowing us to give small treats as we'd like to to reward our animals as a part of the Fear Free Initiative. I agree, Ralph. I think that airway management really is such an important part of management of the patient, and it's happened to all of us. We end up having to anesthetize a patient that had 
an emergency vet did eat that morning. Nobody knew to hold, hold the pet off of food because, no, there would be an emergency, and we just managed the airway appropriately, and that should just be our goal for each patient. And I like your point about small treats, but to me, that is not, not controversial, really. As you mentioned, the, the meal, big meal or not a big meal, when to fast is still a little bit unclear, but the treats, we know that small amounts of food are unlikely to cause any problem. And in fact, as we know, some of our medications that we give orally before surgery, we never even think about giving oral NSAID before surgery or anesthesia, and we don't even think about that. So by allowing us to give small treats, and I, you and I have talked about this before, that we really support that, giving the small treats plays a big role in fear-free in a number of ways. For one thing, giving treats to the patient, to the pet, as it enters the carrier or the car and travels to the vet clinic and enters the hospital, that can really decrease stress for that patient especially if they are familiar treats and now this patient or pet is in an unfamiliar environment, that can really calm them. Treats can also distract the patient as we are trying to work with it, maybe doing a physical exam or even vaccines, something that's just minorly invasive. And of course, treats can facilitate the interaction between the pet and the humans at the vet clinic. So I really feel like the pets are more more accepting of the veterinarians and the veterinary technicians. And a big thing for me is that not being afraid to have a little something on the stomach, a small treat, allows us to tell the owner that they don't have to be afraid of having a little something on the stomach. And it allows us to start medications at home in those patients that are really stressed out by the veterinary visit. So we can have the owner give something like gabapentin or trazodone or benzodiazepine to the pet before it leaves home, even if that requires a little bit of food, a little ball of cheese or sausage or whatever is appropriate for that pet. And that allows us to have a much calmer pet as it enters the hospital. And to me, that is a huge part of fear-free practice. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. And you both mentioned this being somewhat controversial. Dr. Harvey, you also mentioned that there was some research backing this up. But I think the big question is, how is this changing the way that we care for our patients and patient management? So Alex, that's, uh, that's kind of where it com- comes down to the decision of, of how this accumulation of evidence and clinical experience and the importance of the fear-free approach in rewarding good behavior and offering some distraction. How does all this come together to influence our clinical practice? As Dr. Grubb mentioned, we have animals that present that have already eaten, and and we can now feel um, uh, comfortable with that. We can realize that our obligation for airway protection is paramount and that we have no guarantee the stomach's empty or the patient is free of risk of regurgitation or vomiting even if they have been fasted, and there may be deleterious effects. So when it comes down to what we're doing in our own hospital right here, we are typically withholding food the night before. We have the owners do that. Indeed, that's part of the um, recommendations from the American Animal Hospital Association's pain management guidelines, that animals be hungry when they come into the hospital so that we can reward them with food treats, so that we can distract them with food treats and and other um, opportunities to lick a 
a frozen cup full of peanut butter or something like that, making sure there's no xylitol in it, for instance. But the opportunity to reward animals and to distract them is so much better if they are a bit hungry. So we're typically still withholding food the night before, but that does not prevent us from giving small amounts of food treats, a little bit of of uh, uh, cheese or a favorite treat that they really really like. Um, so it's it's allowed us to incorporate the newest part of our improvement in patient care and safety for our hospitals with the Fear Free Initiatives, uh, the principles of uh, offering those food treats and distractions, and and still have um, a paramount um, obligation to protect their airway. And for me, the a big change is the way our patients are presented for anesthesia. As an anesthesiologist, the part that I mentioned about starting at home is huge because everybody that has, is listening to this podcast has tried to anesthetize a patient who is extremely fearful or anxious or even aggressive, and we all know that it takes a much higher dose of sedative or anesthetic drugs to achieve our goal. And because the adverse effects of sedative and anesthetic drugs are primarily dose-dependent, this greatly increases the risk of an anesthesia-adverse event for that patient. It really puts them at high risk. And so by starting at home and allowing them to come in calmer, it makes anesthesia much safer. So it's really changed the way those pets will experience anesthesia and changed how safe it will be for them. So that's really the one of the primary differences for me when we're talking about anesthesia. Yeah, and along those lines, you both mentioned on a previous call that this had implications on lowering patient stress by allowing for more drugs to be administered orally versus through a needle. And I think that's important. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Some of those uh, medications that Dr. Grubb mentioned, like the oral gabapentin or oral trazodone that can be administered orally before the animal comes into the hospital or in the hospital, um, actually, as, as they're presented to us, the opportunity to give uh, an oral medication like meropitant uh, as opposed to a needle uh, is less stressful to the animal. So we have increasing options to avoid an additional needle stick for those animals, which is stressful and painful, and a bad way to start our interaction with them that raises the opportunity for conflict. And indeed, the fasting at home is stressful to many animals, so we stress them by driving them into the veterinary hospital. We stress them again by giving injections. We have the opportunity to offer small amounts of food uh, to reduce that stress and then to offer medications as an oral route of administration. And Indeed, as was mentioned, the Food and Drug Administration has approved as safe and effective the oral administration of the new non-steroidal anti-inflammatory um, uh, Onsior in cats. So they approved the oral route of administration. Um, and then we have the non-FDA approved, very increasingly popular administration of gabapentin or trazodone to take the edge off the apprehension that the animals feel. And whether that's done at home or in the hospital, the oral route of administration of medications, often facilitated in a very small amount of food, can, can be a um, a very well-received part of our pre-anesthetic medication. Right, and thanks for expanding on that because I really do think that sometimes it's those little things that can really help eliminate or attempt to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress in patients. So 
Dr. Harvey, you talked about some of the research backing this up and about the airway protection and the acidity of the stomach and it not being empty anyway. But for those listeners out there who are still like, well, I just don't know, or, or who are maybe still skeptical, what would you say to them? It's very accurate. And, and we do have also evidence from the human species that a small amount of food, often a small protein meal, is increasingly accepted in human anesthetic care as, as an acceptable practice. Whenever we contemplate a change in the way we practice medicine, we want to see some evidence and we want to see some expert opinion and clinical experience. And in this instance, we now have both. We have the accumulation of evidence that fasting and strict fasting has not resulted in the protection that we thought it might provide. We also have a growing body of clinical experience by experts in the field that gives us confidence in the value of offering treats as a part of the Fear Free Initiative, offering oral medication as opposed to a needle route of administration. So we have accumulation of, of science and accumulation of clinical experience that helps us as we make a conservative modification of our clinical practice. And no one wants to move forward without both of those, really. So in this instance, I think we do have both, and we have enough to convince us that it's time to consider a change in how we practice medicine. Well put. Agreed. Really well put. Thank you. So last question. I always like to ask for our listeners if each of you can help us wrap up by giving us some quick take-home tips, thoughts, case studies, or really anything to help our listeners digest, no pun intended, digest some of the things that we talked about today. I think one of the uh, tips is that to, to use these distraction techniques and oral uh, reward techniques to reduce the potential for conflict with our animals. And they not only appreciate it and we potentially avoid a needle stick, but we reduce the potential for conflict in our hospital between staff and the patients or, or um, veterinarians and the patients. The safety factor for our personnel increases with our ability to reduce stress to these animals. So it's not just that we're being kind. It's not just that there's a benefit, which is quite real to those animals in reducing their stress. But by reducing the conflict to our animals, we improve the safety for our personnel in our hospitals. And that is so important that we're able to avoid scratches and bites, as well as the maladaptive neuroendocrine reflex of increased catecholamines hyperglycemia, increased lactate when we stress our animals, increased workload on the heart. But we reduce the potential for injury to our personnel as well. That's not me on the background noise. Is there, can you all hear background noise or am I just hearing it? No, no, that was on, on my end. I apologize. I uh, Bad host, Alex, bad host. I didn't post up in a very good spot for this today. Good. I just want to make sure. Like, wait, is that? I don't think that's me. You know, on the other hand, it's it's real life. People will realize this, this is real life. These people are in a hospital or somewhere that's busy. It's work that's being done. Very true, true. <laughs> you know, you would not believe the number of barking dogs and overhead pages I get in the background of these. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Probably well, lends credibility. I, it probably does. I had to admit the only reason I was sensitive to the background noise is because my cat just or the cat here just meowed in. They'll think that was added that. soundtrack. Yeah, right. Oh, the kitty agreed with Dr. Harvey. <laughs> Feed me. All right, here's my, 
So now I'll answer it, and if I can stop laughing. I, I completely agree with you, Dr. Harvey, about the safety, and I want to bring that back again to the safety of anesthesia. I hate to sound like a broken record about starting at home, but that really, the small treats at home with calming drugs at home has, as I mentioned, revolutionized anesthesia for me in these pets that we that need the fear-free practices. Wait, that would be all pets. In these right. pets that are... <laughs> In these pets that are stressed or fearful or, again, even aggressive, but it has also revolutionized our interaction with the clients with those that have those pets. And by using the calming drugs at home with a little bit of treat, we've actually been able to coax clients back into our hospital that were so afraid of bringing their pet into any veterinary clinic by showing them how different the visit is now that we're utilizing fear-free practices. So my tip for the listeners is not only is it great for anesthesia, the client, the, the human-animal bond, the client-veterinary bond is really enhanced by this as well. So educating the clients, letting them know what we're trying to do, even sending them fear-free material so that they understand it and then showing them how good, how calm their pet can be at the vet clinic has just been amazing for all of us. I could not agree more. It's absolutely good business as well as good medicine. Our clients right. appreciate it. They understand that we are a practice that tries to reduce fear and reduce stress to their beloved animal, and they appreciate that, and they are far more likely to come back into our hospital, tell their friends and associates and family members what we offer that distinguishes our hospital from the next. So this is uh, not only good for medicine, but it's good for business, and as a result, it brings animals into our hospital who otherwise may not receive the indicated medical care that they might be denied because their owner is apprehensive to bring them in. You know, I think we need to get you guys out on the road speaking about fear free. <laughs> you guys know I'm serious. You guys have this thing down because you understand the business benefits as well as how this is helping the patients and the clients and the staff and all of that. And, you know, I'm just always blown away and amazed at when I do these podcasts, the way that people connect with it in the stories that I hear, the videos that people share with us, the calls that we get, the emails that we get about how this is changing the way yep. they practice every day. And it's just so cool to hear yep. people get it and to see it make a difference. Yeah, I think it's, it's easy for, for us because we believe in it, you know, so it's yeah. easy to come yeah. up with all of these reasons that it's great. Absolutely. And uh, Jonathan Jonathan's uh, videos uh, of the dog in his office is a perfect example of how it makes life right. better for everyone. I've told many people, and I've been doing this job for such a long period of time, that I spent the first part of my career learning to be a competent anesthesiologist, and the second major portion of my career really enjoying the tremendous growth we saw in pain management and relief and strategies to prevent pain and suffering in animals, and that's occupied probably the, the second half of my career and the third half of my career, recognizing that we all do get a third one half of our career, is <laughs> is absolutely um, influenced strongly, if not consumed, by this mission of uh, the Fear Free Initiative and how that's integrated so nicely into the management of anesthesia and the management of pain. 
it's a continuum between stress and fear and pain that fits together so nicely and results in better medical care and better business for our hospital and better care for our personnel. Right, a lot safer for staff, as you mentioned. Oh, absolutely. I see it as an obligation that we have in terms of better care for our patients and an obligation for better care of our clients and, indeed, an obligation for better care of all of our personnel. Well put. Great. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you guys coming on the show and sharing all of these insights with us that will potentially change the way that a lot of things are done in our daily practice, which is right along the lines of what Fear Free is doing. So again, thank you so much. Great. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate the opportunity to talk about Fear Free and potential changes in the way we manage our patients. So thanks for having us. We have really enjoyed participating with you on this conference call, and we do believe that this is something that we can offer as an improvement in our profession, and we're both enthusiastic about this opportunity to move forward in a safe and stepwise fashion, so thank you very much. Absolutely. And thank you so much to our listeners out there who tuned in today. Also, be sure to check out the March issue of AHA's Trends for an article that talks a lot about the same things we did here today. And as always, be sure to keep an eye on fearfreepets.com for all the exciting news and happenings we have going on here at Fear Free.